brother's a portrait artist, amazing, re I call realism, there's like photo realism where you can make something look exactly like a photograph, you know, exactly perfect, and my father was like a renaissance painter, and he was completely, and then I was this little crazy abstract artist. Jim Fox, and welcome to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. I've had my coffee. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox. I'm here today at Winter Street Studio, just a little north and a little west of downtown Houston, Texas. Our guest today is Anne-Marie Vonkus, a Houston area artist whose style can be described as abstract mixed with surrealism, with just a touch of fauvism, all smothered in the sights and sounds of music. All of this comes together to make an artistic style that she calls sensuism. Welcome to the show, Anne-Marie. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Glad to have you on. Big picture, why is art important? Why do we, or why should we as society and as people care about art? Um, I think as human beings, we need, uh, we have a, uh, a deep innate sense of needing to create or express ourselves. And I think that um, art is a beautiful thing. The different types of art, whether it's music or writing or painting, in a way that some people can express themselves through their artistic venues rather than speaking or, I don't know, it's a, it's a way of communicating, I think. And it's a way of um, seeing a little bit inside of, of a person in particular or a culture or humanity in general, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Yeah, kind of much like music, it is some version of a universal language, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, very good. So you, you're both your parents were artists. You've kind of grown up with art around you pretty much mm -hmm. all of your life. At what point did you decide that, yes, this is my career choice? Um, my career choice? Well, it was in high school before I went to college. But um, my, well, my father passed away when I was eight. So he didn't really have a say in it when I was in high school. But my mother um, was an artist and she's uh, studied set design for TV and film, but she ultimately became a teacher. So I think my mother wanted me to play it safe. So I went to college and I was gonna study uh, advertising and just kind of parlay that into art, but um, I kind of gave it up because I didn't really have the, I was afraid because of the whole starving artist thing. Yeah. That scared yeah. me, you know, I felt like, you know, you don't, you need a foundation, you're always going to struggle, you know what the odds are, and I listened to all the voices of the other people, and I didn't listen to my instincts, you know what I mean? So, um, it is kind of uh, scary, we're, uh, the, on the last episode of the show, we were talking to a fellow who started his own business, and he had to take out a, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar loan to do that, and that's uh, scary in much the same way, it's like, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of risk. Yeah. Uh, how, did you kind of approach that analytically, or was it more kind of an emotional decision for you? Of it was emotional, and then I, you know, then I got into um, acting because I studied theater arts in high school, and then, um, you know, I got an agent and I did all that. But I was doing art shows then. I was doing art shows, and I had my agent. I was doing acting, and I did a little bit of modeling on the side, and so one of them had to go. So I was actually getting some gigs in acting. So I gave the art up. 
Okay. And then I gave up acting because I was I got married to another actor and it was like a big big breakup and I just gave up everything and like went into seclusion and had to rethink my whole life. Mm -hmm. So basically a decade went by and then I said, you know what? I didn't touch an art brush and I said, you know what? I want to do this again. And I just, I think it was 2014 and I said, I'm going to just do this 100%. But be, to go back, I re I've been doing art since I was three. You know, I've been drawing and making, I was making sculptors and firing them, sculptures in our kiln um, and firing them in my house since I was three, four, five, six. You know, my parents made everything from scratch. So it's just like who I am. So that's what gave me courage to actually go through and, and start all over and do it again. And that's where you see all of this. <laughs> Mostly it was created um, in the past three and a half years, like everything in this studio. Yeah, speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about where we are here. We're right now here at uh, Winter Street Studios in downtown Houston. Talk about that. How long have you been at this place? I, I hear now you're about to be moving here in the near future. Talk about the studio experience. Well, I, my first studio was at Aurora Studios, and it was the smallest. I love that place, though, because it's like um, a friend of mine from France. He said, well, the first thing you need to do is you need to get a studio. So I found this little studio. It was like 10 foot by 10 foot. I'm not kidding. It was like a phone booth. It was so cute and cozy. And I used to sit there, and be able, I could put my arms out and practically touch both walls um, in the heights. Um, I loved that place. So then... I uh, moved out of there, it kind of, I don't think they're around anymore, and I started working out of my house, so I created a studio in my house. And then, every, you know, my friends from Aurora Studios basically all came to Sawyer Yards, this big complex. Some of them are at Silos, some of them are here. And so Silos is a studio right next door, right? The, yes, yeah, the, the okay. famous one with the rice, yeah. Imperial Rice, I think is what it's called, but, or Success Rice. So. You know, I grabbed this one because it was the first available. It was either this one or some of the little small ones. So I've been here at this particular studio for about seven months. This is my first time at Sawyer Yards. Um, but it's huge. I guess you guys could see it. <laughs> it is, uh, is kind of big. If we had to guess uh, sizes, I don't know, maybe 30 foot by 30 foot or so with a little corner kind of notched out of it. Uh, it's shaped a like an, it's 1,040 square feet. Okay. Which is pretty big. Yeah, that is that is Bigger than most big. of my apartments. That I grew up with. Yeah, that, so that, that works out to be about 30 square feet, but there's a little notch taken out of it, so it is kind of in the shape of an L. Yeah. But very cool. So a few years ago, you uh, were diagnosed uh, with a unique condition called synesthesia. Synesthesia seems to have influenced your, your art quite a bit. Uh, tell the folks mm -hmm. what is synesthesia and how has that impacted your life and your creative process? Well, it's something that I've always had, and, you know, I really enjoy, I'm glad I have synesthesia, and I just kind of thought everybody had it. You could just teach people to use music, uh, to do art, but I think... Uh, Talk about what it is first. First of all, it is, it's hard to explain, because there's all different types of synesthesia. Yeah. Um, you listen to music, and it translates into, for me, uh, a visual image in my mind. Some people listen to music and it can be like, they'll be a taste or a feeling, like a physical feeling, like when you scratch your nails on a chalkboard, you know. You, so it's like, if you listen to a certain song for me, uh, my synesthesia is a little different in the fact that it, 
creates an emotion rather than just like red or blue, right? The emotions can kind of parlay into a color, but it creates an emotion and then whatever that emotion is created in my mind, I put it on canvas. So basically what I'm painting is just pure emotion. That's it. Yeah, so it's so not like... So synesthesia, what, I guess the way I would describe it, the engineer in me would be that it's, it is a, a mapping I don't want to say problem, but I will for the sake of the sentence. <laughs> it is a mapping problem that your brain takes various inputs, the yeah. sights and sounds and taste, and maps them to the wrong part of your your memory or wrong part of your your cognitive experience. That it, uh -huh. you know, normally if 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 I were to see a color, my brain would recognize it as a color. But mm -hmm. in your case, if you hear a sound, it maps it to a color or yeah. maps it to a shape. It um, just it's it segues to a different direction. Yeah, and it's it's uh, and I like you like you said you you say you're glad you have it. I've uh, from what I've read as well that other people don't really treat it as a handicap. They oftentimes treat it as a blessing. Because they've or had it their whole lives. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah, your right so arm or your and your left arm. <laughs> so so the concept of you painting music sounds completely weird to us. But oh that, yeah. That, but that's your that's your experience. You, yeah. you paint music. Well, wow, that's interesting because to me it's so normal. I th it would be weird to think that someone would think it weird. I mean, I'm not, that's like really fascinating to me. That's kind of intriguing. But um, I love it because, well, also music, aside from art, music has always been my way of dealing with whatever. If it's stress, you know, they have elevator music in elevators, you know, in the yeah, the yeah. back in the day when they people get nervous and I guess they put the music in there so the people with claustrophobia but whenever I was really really depressed especially when I was a teenager or going through my angst years or whatever college you know I always had music and music was a way of it must do something to my brain that it's like a dopamine dump on in my brain and whenever I listen to music and I also write. I write in the same way that I uh, paint. Because if okay. you go to my website, there's a blog part. It's very abstract the way I write. Well, this is also a translation from from music. So um, that's, that's that's interesting. You 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 process uh, visual and audio experiences different than most, and that that, that is something that is hard for uh, those of us who don't have that condition to kind of yeah. figure out to figure out what that really means. But uh, but that's cool. We'll we'll explore that uh, we'll explore that a, a, a bit further. But for you, does uh, like if you hear a sound or a song today and that maps to a certain color or a certain shape, if you did that same song a year later, would you get the exact same sound or shape or exact same color or shape, or does it change over time? Um, I would get the exact same mood and feeling, and it would be similar. But see, the thing is, is that when I listen to music. I don't know if I have the painting here. There's one painting called Indian Blanket and I did it a long time ago, 1999. And I remember it was a series of uh, eagle songs. <coughs> and I remember, excuse me, I remember talking to my friend, <laughs> I'll say her name, Charlene, about her breakup with her boyfriend on the phone as I was painting this and listening to music. So it's weird, like I'll never forget that part of it, but I don't know if it for me, it doesn't really specifically translate to a specific color. The different colors mean different things to me than they do for most people. Give me an example. What does green mean, for instance? Um, well, I'll use the color red. Okay. Um, most people think of like red as a love and things like that. I think of red as more, you know, like hearts or blood or whatever. Um, 
Red is more of a depressing color to me. Um, red can also be, I guess, interpreted as an aggressive. Uh, Tiger Woods always wears red on Sunday. For oh, instance. I didn't so even that's think an aggressive, uh, an a kind of an attack mode kind of. Color. Yeah, it was like the the bullfighters use red. Yeah. But um, like when I think of tears, I think of them as red is a good example, you know. And for me, the color black is more calming. Um, I think that a lot of people would think of a solid black color would be like more intimidating. Like people were, you know, go to funerals, they all wear black and all that. But um, for me, the color white is unnerving to me. Just wow. solid white tables and sheets. Ah! And guess what? <laughs> your, your, the walls of your studio are all white. <laughs> I just have to have like a lot of color because I guess it's like, for me, the way I uh, the way I do my art, there's just a lot of movement and activity going on, and I think um, I may be a little bit ADD, but I have to have that constant movement and going on because I have a really hard time painting like like this one that you were talking about earlier, earth tones and like these colors, browns. Um, it's really difficult for me. For some reason, I can't seem to get my brain focused on those colors. So you're, you're talking about somewhat of an emotional experience to both sights and sounds. Yeah. The style that you've, uh, the term that you've uh, coined is sensuism. Talk about how all of this previous five or so minutes of what you talked about turns into the word sensuism. What does that mean? Well, I was trying to, um, this all started when I was posting on my, my Facebook page, my art page, I was hashtagging like, ex you know, expressionism, abstract, and I was trying to put my art in a category, like there's surrealism and all that other stuff. And mine was just a little, like a little bit of all of them. And so I realized that my art is more based on senses, like, you know, the senses as in the emotion, it's filtered through your senses and what is the emotion. So it's more And that, that is probably a unique experience for you because of the synesthesia, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly yeah. how my synesthesia works. It's filtered through music and it creates an emotion. And I don't even, I don't even think about what I'm painting. It, ju it just comes out. Like I don't plan it, rarely do I, s I take a pencil and sketch it out ahead of time. It's all free flowing. And you know, uh, if there's a lot of distractions, you know, it might be a little bit more scattered. Like this one right here, this one that I did when I was filming Great the Day Houston. You're talking about the white one. We'll, we'll get into some of these paintings and describe but them here sh shortly. Uh, but okay, so uh, like surrealism, uh, even fauvism, which uh, you know, the artist uh, Henry Matisse is mm -hmm. kind of a fauvist. Is that the word fauvist? Yeah. Fo in, into the fauvism. What is it about surrealism and abstract and fauvism that that appeals to you? Is that a, I guess you're describing that that's not a conscious decision that you're choosing to go out and and paint in those. It's more of a subconscious decision that that's what your brain is painting. Is it? Yeah. You know, I really love surrealism. That's my favorite. Okay. Um because I like the fantasy part of it, you know, and Dolly painted a lot of his dreams, which is basically uncontrollable images, because you can't control your dreams too much, and he created these, you know, artistic images of mostly of his dreams. It's a little bit, I guess I'm gonna say, the best way to describe uh, synesthesia for me is when I listen to music, it's more like you go, in, it's not meditation, but you go into like a meditative, meditative state, I don't know if that's the right word. And I can literally like block everything out when I have my music on and then that's like a de it's almost like a subconscious thing. It's really weird. But that's why I love my synesthesia because it's great when you want an escape. 
it's like amazing. I guess that's why I'm so prolific. <laughs> it's like, it's very enjoyable to create the art. You know what I mean? Um, that's a, yeah, it's a unique creative process. So, but it, I, I mean, people that are artists, either music artists or painters, uh, I, I don't mean this in a pick on kind of way, but it's uh, it's kind of true that their brains are wired differently, right? Artists yeah. artists are kind of wired differently. Yeah, they and, definitely and are. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that's actually a really cool thing. No, that's true. But, <laughs> but for someone who's a non-artist trying to look at a painting that is either surrealist or abstract, they don't get it oftentimes. What is it that so-called finger quote normal people don't get about, about abstract art and surrealist art and fauvism art, yeah. uh, the kind of stuff that you do that someone comes in off the street and they think, oh, it's just a bunch of squiggly lines and yeah. weird shapes. What are they missing? What are they not getting about that? Why is that a cool flavor I, of art? I think a lot of people are focused on the technical aspect um, of art. Like it has to look like something. Like my mother's a portrait artist, amazing, re what I call realism. There's like photo realism where you can make something look exactly like a photograph and you know exactly perfect and my father was like a renaissance painter and he was completely and then I was this little crazy abstract artist that was their their little art <laughs> child <laughs> but um I try to just paint emotions and I can't really break it down for people it's you know I, I don't like it when artists kind of get stuck up and they're like, well, if you don't get it, it's my art and I have a special, yeah, I know, I've known actors that were like, they thought they were better because they were special, they were artistes, you know what I mean? But um, for me, I just kind of block it all out. I don't really, I mean, my boyfriend, you can't get any more intellectual than my boyfriend because he's a doctor, so he's pretty, what is that, left brain? And um, so, I think it just comes down to whether you enjoy looking at it, you know, it doesn't really have a deeper meaning. So, but for it, them. in some sense, it is somewhat of a microscopic look into your brain, right? It's into what. Yeah. Uh, a, a phrase I commonly use, uh, oftentimes toward myself, is it's hell in my head, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so these paintings are, are a representation of what's actually going on in your head, and, and probably no one else can relate to those images. It's just, that's just the, in right. the essence of you, and either people get it or they don't, and it almost doesn't matter, right? Yeah, because if I get, once again, if I get into all of that, the, uh, the criticisms, I just brush it off because my mother was my worst critic, not in my art. She loved my art. She encouraged it, put it on the fridge. My, I could say my first art showing was the refrigerator in the kitchen where my mom took the little magnets and stuck the, the markers uh, that I used to draw on there. But, um, no, my boyfriend watched me paint one day, and he, he was amazed at how, it was this, this one, it's black and white with, bold yellow and it's kind of crazy shapes explaining for the listeners so yeah um so it took a sharpie and I just kind of just started going crazy I had my headphones on and then it just filled it in I was going to add more color but I decided this one was more finished with less which is unusual but the, he the one she's describing it's uh I was about to say it's doodling but it's actually a bit more planned out it seems than doodling uh but it's kind of a bit more former version of doodling with some of the uh, the polygons, I guess, are just semi-randomly painted yellow inside the closed shapes. And otherwise, just kind of a bunch of doodling with some things that you can vaguely make out as shapes, but mostly a white canvas with some black doodling and yellow scattered about. It's kind of a unique piece. And little kind of... Uh little guys that are little stick figures that are climbing and dancing and and those are repeated themes about some of your art you have yeah. uh, you ha actually i've noticed the little stick figures i've also noticed a little cat or, or fox-like critter oh in some of your painting talk about those things oh gosh i could tell you about the cat <laughs> i just had a recent <laughs> um well okay so 
I went through this uh, this bad breakup. When was it? 2014, 2015. Um, and I started doing a series that was called a crying, just crying girls. There were all these little pastels, and I was throwing them on Facebook. Um, those are, if I remember right from your website, are predominantly blue. Are those kind of a blue figures? Uh, no, they well, they were just pastels, and it was just like one a girl looking to the side, but large eyes and very small mouths, and um, I want to say like the precious moments. Remember those little precious moments yeah. figurines? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but the big yeah. eyes and little. So I just did a whole bunch of those, um, and it was just so sad. And especially the guys, they just were like, oh, God, I'm just crying sad because guys don't like to see girls cry, one of my friends told me. Um, and I thought, well, maybe they need a little bit of a balance. So I took this little creature, okay? So we, uh, I went round and round with somebody recently about this. It, it wasn't really a cat or a, or a um owl it just it was just like a little creature and so it was on this shoulder it's like a little guardian angel but it's cute I love animals so I made it look like a little animal um, looking up at the the first one that I painted and I made it really big eyes and it was just looking up and it's actually this one right here it's this lady with it's a girl with blue um, and that was the first one that I drew underneath the mirror Okay. I hate that oh, you guys I see it. can't yeah, see yeah, yeah. it, but her eyes that's are That's the blue that I remember earlier. That's, yeah, that's that was, was my very first one, and it's yeah. like her eyes are all crazy, and her hair is crazy, and then I just continued on and on until I was kind of done with that phase, and then when I was done with that phase, I stopped doing them, but that's where the little cat came in. Or so, the, yeah, this little creature, it, it, it looks partly like an owl, but it's got a little bit bigger tail. It, it looks somewhat like a cat, but not quite. It maybe kind of resembles a fox in the yeah. face, but it's, you're right, it's kind of a ambiguous random critter of some sort. Mm -hmm. uh, very cool, but it, the, but that re reoccurs on a lot of your paintings. It's probably in a third or so of your paintings. So yeah. it, why, why repeat that? What is, what's the kind of hidden message you're trying to bring back to these various paintings? I don't know. I mean, for me, it just symbolizes. Usually, I put it in there when there's. Uh, I I started it when it when there was the sad kind of morbid because that's where I was. I was very sad and depressed, and I was just trying to balance that. And now it's it's kind of grown on me. I think it's cute. It's some version of a trademark kind of. Yes. Yeah, huh? So I'm trying to think. Yeah. So he's in there, and this one uh, actually that was from a show. And it's always about, it seems like it's only like an inch or two tall. It's almost sort of hidden. It's a like, where's Waldo kind of thing. Can you find the cat in the painting? Yeah, and it's not in all of them. But um, yeah, this was from this one right here. The kind of Picasso-esque one with the eyes is from this exposed show that we did. And, and all of these paintings, with a few exceptions of the, like the doodle one I was describing before, almost all of these paintings are very bright, vibrant colors. They're, uh, mm -hmm. they're definitely... Uh, sending out a kind of a positive vibe, even if the themes are sometimes not always positive, but the, the color, just the instant visual f is a really bright, happy kind of a uh, look. Is that, yeah, I realize some of the themes maybe are not always so happy, but what's the juxtaposition of that, of the bright, bright vibrant colors and maybe the sometimes the sad images? Well, the the bright, vibrant colors are usually probably when I was, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like that, when I was, um, the most depressed because it's my way of forcing myself. I wasn't so depressed that I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't have that type of debilitating depression, but I tend to get melancholy. I'm prone to anxiety and a little bit of melancholy, and I'll go through a phase, and it's just a phase, and I go through it, and then I get out of it. 
um, and I do some of my best work. So the big, bright, bold colors and the, the designs are a way of, you know, figuratively getting myself out of bed and starting my day and o opening up the curtains through the colors to see and create something beautiful. Because it's like, if for anybody who suffers from any kind of depression or whatever, and mine was like situational depression, um, the worst thing you can do is to just be negative and then pile it on. You know, you got to go through it somewhat. So, so what I do is where the synesthesia is great <laughs> for me is I get my little playlist of songs that match whatever it is I'm feeling, right? Whether it's Green Day, it's punk rock, or, you know, The Clash, or it's, you know, modern pop or like Adam Levine even, uh, you know, or just whatever kind of music. And I match it up to whatever mood I have. And then I lock myself in my studio and I don't have any clocks in here because I don't want to know what time it is. I don't want to distract myself. Uh, just, I'm not going to answer the door. I'm not going to answer my messenger. And I just basically book out and go into this void. And I'm completely immersed in this music. So music is very important. It's more important than the materials and the paintbrushes, which are very important, and anything else. So I was very, very nervous being on camera. They filmed me for TV. And um, once I put my headphones on and started listening to music, it was like, just completely relaxed. I saw that in the uh, the video interview of that, and, and I, I did find it a bit peculiar, uh, but now it makes sense. Yeah. Of why in some of that interview you actually had your headphones on as though you weren't listening, but you were still inter interacting and dialoguing with the person talking to you, but it seemed weird that you had headphones on, but that was your kind they of zen moment. That's how you got in there. Yeah. yeah, they wanted me to. So I looped a, a song. I played it over uh, the... Uh, psychedelic furs the ghost in you I just kind of liked it and another weird thing is is like if you're listening to like Pandora or um, if the musics aren't kind of synced up or nice have a nice flow if you have something that's say some like raucous country western song coming in on your playlist it's like ah it can snap me out of the the mode and I can lose the flow of what I'm painting so for you when you hear a song that somehow puts an image in your head and it's a mad rush to get that image on canvas before the song's over. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was almost finished. It's like someone's changing the channel on the TV show. You know, you could change uh. the channel. You're com watching something completely different. So you're watching a comedy and now all of a sudden you're watching a drama. Your brain goes to drama mode. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So kind of imagine yourself right now with uh, headphones on with your favorite song going and I'm not here you're in in a can or in your your studio with kind of your zen moment going on blank canvas perfect music in your ears how do you go from that to a couple hours later having a finished piece what does that kind of paint that picture to the listeners what is that like well the first thing I do is I stare at the canvas <laughs> while listening to the music I kind of get it in my head what feeling I want to, it's not that I want to convey. I don't think, what do I want to show someone else? It's more of, what do I want to put on this canvas? How, uh, what do I want to capture or what I'm feeling right now? Then the next thing I do is I go through my paints and I'll gather up the colors. You know, So there's all different shades of red. There's like earth tone reds and then there's the bright, uh, more vivid and neon colors and things like that. So I get my colors all together. So the colors and the music 
are, everything has to sync up. And then once I get the colors, you know, I get my paintbrushes and everything, I just, the first color I just put down, say for example, I'll use blue. Um, and then it becomes a game of not really, a, well, this is the tech, the only pr pretty much technical part is making sure that all the colors uh, don't clash, which is very it's instinctual for me. I've been doing it since I was a kid. Let's, I guess we'd call, technically it'd be called color theory. Um, so you can make a, a canvas look too busy or just gaudy or for me, it's kind of like someone matching up their clothes for the day. So it's just what looks nice, this looks good together. And sometimes I'll stop and uh, you know, a lot, there's so much that goes into it. There's memories, sometimes a song will jog a memory and a memory will jog a feeling. And then, you know, really, I just desperately want to convey that memory on canvas so that I can have it. And, you know, so it's really pretty selfish when I paint, because I'm not really painting for anybody else. I'm really just painting for myself. Yeah, so much of that process you just described is somewhat foreign to me. I, I am not an artist. I, I can barely draw <laughs> a stick figure without giving my broken leg. But, but if I were to go out and paint, I don't know, paint a picture of a house, I would, I would very specifically draw the walls, I would draw mm -hmm. the roof, I would draw the floor. And your process is nothing like that. You're not specifically painting anything. It's just, just some, your emotions get turned into arm movements and magic happens and you've got a painting. Is that something close to that? Yeah, you know, and my, my parents were very much, except my dad encouraged my abstractism when I was like six and seven. But my mother was very much, this has to look like this, and it has to be done well, and I'm going to send you to school so you know how to do a face perfectly. And, um, and I had all this pressure to, to do it correctly. Well, my dad, you know, and Dr. Seuss growing up with those, someone told me, you don't have to make a house look perfectly square because you're not moving in. This is art. And then I started looking at art books and then seeing abstract art and thought, oh my gosh, there's like, there's no rules. Like you can actually do whatever you want to do. So that's when I just kind of went crazy. I hear well, the same from musicians. There's no, you know, there's, yeah. there's no jail sentence if you play a chord differently, right? <laughs> there's, there's no rules. You just play, you know, do yeah. whatever version of that works for you. I'm so. not a musician with the, I don't understand the chords and all that, but yeah, I get it. Well, you can go off key, but the same thing with the color thing I was telling but you. But still, that, that could be off key sounds bad to most, but there's nothing that says you can't do that as an artist. You right. Could, you could do it if you want, right? Right, right. So, yeah, it's just there, there's uh, no rules at all. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Loom Innovation Podcast on our webpage, lumenovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, lumenovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. Uh, talk a bit about um, 
you've mentioned a few bands and a few music genres, but does does a particular song or artist or band or even a genre always map to the same thing for you? Like if you turned on Green Day today, will you get a very similar painting that if you turned on that same song by Green Day? I guess it's similar to the question we asked earlier, but does that does that really happen to you? Pretty much, yeah, because Green Day, not exactly the same, but it represents, actually it represents a time in my life when I started listening to Green Day. So I would say synesthesia is more tied into emotions, and emotions are tied into memories, because all these songs have, I listen to songs um, from the 80s and 90s the most, because they carry these these memories. I don't usually listen to songs that are popular right now, even though I like them, I listen to them in the car, but not when I paint. Well, I'm going to guess you go back even a few more decades than that with some of your musical choices, right? Yeah. I, go, I mean, I go back to the, to the 60s, yeah. which was in my time, but I love the 60s, you know, and the uh, early 70s, you know, because I can listen to the music and I've seen some of the TV shows, the vintage TV shows, and um, I really appreciate that. So I can, it's like almost like time travel. You can go back in time when you listen to music from a different yeah. time. And, and that's, that's what music does for me. I don't know if it does that for everybody. But um, you said earlier that uh, music and the inspiration is sometimes even more important than the medium. Uh, but you also do paint in a lot of different mediums with pastels and acrylic and oil and water, watercolors and, and graphite even. Talk about the pros and cons of some of those different medium and how how those allow you to express, you know, graphite allows you to do something different that watercolor could. Talk a bit about that. Well, graphite is basically, you know, pencil, pencil yeah. and um, it's, you know, of course, it's a little bit more detailed. You can't do a lot of shading and big, broad color strokes. I use graphite when I'm on the plane, and I'm, I hate flying. <laughs> I'm really scared to fly, so I'll do art. But um, it's just a nice way to do small um, pieces and I love pastel because it's like painting you don't have to worry about the water and it's just a softer finish bright bold colors and for faces and shading but pastels are very 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 fragile so um, I have to keep them in a portfolio and I've ruined some of them by sealing them with spray to make sure that the powder doesn't come up um, I, I wondered about that actually as a kind of a sidebar but uh, so is I, I don't know anything about the process, but is spraying them a way to preserve them? But now you're saying that it ruins them. Well, is, it's if mean? if you have black paper with a lighter colored pastel like white and yellow, it's great because it gives like a 3D like a neon effects. I'm trying to I've find I've seen some of those. Okay. And when you spray the the medium, it's like when you get if you have blonde hair or, or lighter hair and you get your hair wet, it looks darker. Well, it does the same thing with the colors. Oh, I see. It fades so the colors a bit. <laughs> okay. The whites and the yellows and the light blues like all disappeared, and I I thought, well, it'll dry. And it completely ruined it. So I, I got a photo of it before I sprayed it, and it looked great. So I, I did some prints from it, um, but the original was completely Well, I've ruined. seen some of yours that, that look almost like a black light glow in the dark. Uh, they're just that bright and vibrant. It's really kind of neat to see some of those. Yeah, but, uh, that's uh, probably the pastels. <laughs> I learned so not to spray those. <laughs> so what about acrylic and oil? How, how do those help you tell a different story that you maybe couldn't with some of the other media? Well, I love acrylic because it's quick, quick drawing and it's instant gratification. And I paint very, very fast and you can, you know, you just use water. Um, but as far as like colors, I, I like oil color better. My parents were old school oil color painters. They did use the linseed oil and the castor oil. Was it not castor oil? Was it, uh, I forget the name of the stuff. Turpentine. Okay. Um, and I grew up with those like, chemical smells in the house, you know, of, of, of the turpentine and the linseed of my parents' painting and all that. So it's more like a romanticized 
Uh, uh, so those chemical process. smells we might view as bad, you kind of, that's a good memory for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, fresh coffee in the morning or new wood, like in a new house, you smell like the yeah. wood that's freshly cut. But um, oil colors are more beautiful, more translucent. Um, acrylic color is more of a flat, solid color. And oil color is a little bit more translucent. But it takes months. It doesn't dry. It cures. So this is like one of the few oils that I did. Um, okay. And it's just very you know, toxic and volatile. You have to be careful. There's fumes and all that other stuff. But I really love oil color. Talk about some of your inspirations. Uh, some of the, you know, Matisse or Dali or, or Kandinsky, uh, some of those guys. Uh, who, who are some of your artists that most of us have heard of that are your inspirations? Um, I like Jean-Michel Basquiat because of his, uh, his life story. I like where he came from. I like the fact that it was like the 80s and that he did it care and um he's got some of his stuff in moma right and he died relatively young 27 yeah, 28 years old something like he that he's like 24 when he died okay we have some here at um the manil has a piece every once in a while they'll put it up it's a it has a pink background but but he just really was really uh just didn't care he did his own thing and i kind of related to him because he had his parents who wanted him to go to college his dad was like an accountant and um, he went on the streets of New York and just became an artist, and he made it. Um, ultimately, he, d he did drugs and things like that, which was to his demise. But um, it's, it's kind of a – I've read a little about his story, and it, it is kind of amazing that he uh, – in a lot of ways, he, w he doesn't fit the mold of someone who would grow up to be an artist, right, or at least a famous artist. Yeah. But yet he's, he's kind of well-recognized, even though he died at a young age and, and had relatively few years to make an impact. Uh. Yeah, and you know, he painted his emotions. So he painted, um, you know, he used oil sticks. So there's one I did with oil sticks. It's kind of messy and weird, and it's hard to get straight lines. But he was just a very spontaneous painter. And, you know, so I like that about him. And another one that I like is uh, when I was very young, when I was using markers, my mother started me off on markers, I found, I stumbled on Keith Haring which, you know, he was a graffiti artist at first, but he did the bold little, I guess that's where I get the little stick figure guys, because he does all the, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he does the uh. Uh, very pop art, and it's like these little uh, figures, and they're moving, and things like that. If you, if you Googled him, and you would see the images, you would go, oh, I recognize that. Okay. But then um, Kandinsky is another big one, and just studying about him, you know, it's pretty so he, sure he had also, uh, there's some definite similarities, the one behind the yellow one that we mentioned the 20 minutes or so ago. Uh -huh. That reminds me of some of his stuff. He also has synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. And he didn't yeah. say, I have synesthesia, but some of his quotes were definitely like, ah, he has synesthesia. Yeah, so, so Kandinsky is uh, from Russia, right? And he was one of the kind of the, the founders of the surrealist surrealism yeah. movement. Uh, so that he's, little he, group. Yeah, he lived about 100 years ago or so. It was in the early 1900s when he yeah. was making an impact. But yeah, I've definitely seen some inspiration of his uh, style on yours, uh, conscious or not, or maybe that's just the way the synesthesia brain well, works. Who knows? Really, yeah, I didn't really follow Kandinsky. Like, I mostly followed Picasso and... and uh, Keith Haring were like my influence. It kind of, I got compared to Kandinsky a lot. Okay. And Chagall, some of my earlier pastels, like some people said they reminded me, and I was like, who's Chagall? I had to go look him up. That's, I'm such a bad artist. <laughs> my art history is terrible. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, I 
looked at him, and I, I really like his stuff because it's bright and bold and kind of crazy. We're going to shift gears a little bit. I have brought some uh, paintings that I hope you recognize some of these. Uh, seven or eight uh, printouts oh, okay. of your paintings. And I figured uh, I've got seven or eight of them here. And I figured maybe if you had some preference, just pick two or three of them and just talk a few minutes about, oh, okay. about them. Oh, wow. This is, this is one of my so, favorites. So Bird on the Wire, I'm going to guess that's a, that's a uh, Cohen reference. Leonard Cohen's song, Bird on the Wire. Actually, no, I don't even, I wasn't even familiar with Leonard okay, Cohen. Okay, so Leonard Cohen's got one of his popular <laughs> songs is called Bird on the Wire, and he, he died in 2012 or so, but he was, oh, yeah? uh, he was around uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s is when he was kind of at the hit of his, his peak. But go ahead, talk about Bird on the Wire. It's a really dark-looking picture. Um, well, basically, this is when I was doing, like I said, the pastels on the black paper, and it was I wanted to get that image with paints because I got tired of ruining my pastels. So unromantic how I'm describing it. Let me interrupt you just for a second. For the listeners out there, um, if you go to uh, Anne Marie's website, which is Anne Marie Vancas V A N C A S uh -huh. dot com or dot org dot com. So Anne Marie Vancas Vancas dot yeah. yeah, A N N without an E. There is no E at the end of this. AnneMarieVonkus.com. And sc scroll through her website there. You'll find a, a, a dark looking pa painting with some spider like critters up the top. And it's called Bird on a Wire. So go ahead and describe that. Yeah, I did this one at Aurora Studio. And this is when I just started with oil colors. Um, this one actually sold to a musician named Larry Lonote Johnson. He's a bass player. Uh, blues player. That's funny. It's uh, Leonard Cohen. That's interesting. Leonard Cohen, yeah. And there's even some parts of that image that, in my mind, I can see fit the song, but it, that appears oh, to wow. not be the case. Maybe that's why he liked it. I don't know. But um, well, I started off with a black background, and I just um, I did this one in layers. This is more of an experimental piece because, like I said, I just wanted to get uh, the feeling of the light coming through like you would in a, like if you're in a dark forest and you're camping, you know, you can see someone far away and you see the, the glow of a campsite. I was trying to get that image with on top of the black. And, you know, everything, this is supposed to be a hand. Yeah, yeah, I can see the hand there. And then, you know, I just started, this bird was an accident. It is a really, compared to the rest of the picture, which is dark, this is a very bright blue bird. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of, you know, that's how I paint. So it starts to kind of look like a bird. So then I start to tweak it out and make it look like more like a bird. I'm and curious about the, the angled uh, kind of red purple things at the bottom that look somewhat like jail sails, uh, jail bars. What What is that? What is the inspiration there? Well, in my mind, I was actually thinking of like a ship, you know, a shipwreck, like there's waves and a dark and stormy night or, you know, okay. a lot of things are going on in my brain. It's like I, I, it'll fly through my mind like a shipwreck and then and then a new thought is coming through. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's just kind of a free-flowing, imaginative piece. I've got all kinds of stuff right here. And, and what are the, the spiders just representing the darkness of the forest? Or are those it not wasn't spiders? Really they a spider, it was just more of a... I think I put the black in there just to kind of balance out this really bright yellow section, which it's the technical part. Your eye, if this this wasn't here, this black spider. Uh, you would, your eye bright. would be drawn up there. Because it's the picture is so dark, and then you've got this yellow uh, coming out at the very top, your eye would naturally stop and fixate here. So got you it. need the black and the movement to break that up. Oh, that's if pretty that good. makes sense. Yeah. So visually, some of these little details are just to to break up your view because it's a just it's like it pulls your eye to a certain focal point and it keeps it there. And a good painting, if it has good composition, will make your eye 
feel relaxed and be able to kind of travel along the canvas so without being transfixed on a spot. So for me, looking at that, the what you claim was an accident, the bird is really what draws my eyes because it, yeah. it is brighter than the rest. Um, but yeah, that's interesting of how to uh, kind of fool the viewer's eyes into doing what you want them to do. Yeah, I mean, and you yeah. can do all that with color okay. and design cool. and all that. Pick another one out here. We've got seven or eight others. Uh, pick, pick this one, one wasn't... It's not the, the process. It wasn't really that interesting. Kaleidoscope. It's, it is an abstract painting with what appears to be what you would expect out of a kaleidoscope, a bunch of broken lines that kind of break the painting up into several different segments. And um, you, you said this one wasn't that interesting? That well, I mean, I was just listening to some really fun, probably punk rock music, and I just kind of, I mean, I didn't put a lot of thought in this one. This probably wasn't like a really, okay. you know, it was a more, it didn't have like a deep meaning or it didn't have like a big emotional memory connected to it. Kaleidoscope is that one. Okay, you'll find that on the website as well. Okay. Um, this one, Soulmates, um, this was from a show, a solo show that I did at Samara Gallery. And my whole theme, and there's a little cat. Yeah, the cat, <laughs> the pet, the cat makes an appearance there as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so the whole theme was like love and loss and breakup and, you know, uh, finding your soulmate, basically. Just, you know, that was my whole obsession back then. Uh, was this like 2016, 2017? Is there that one person out there for you? And, you know, what is love? So I also wrote, segued into my blog on my website. I, wrote, I was writing about love. So I was writing about love and things like that and I was painting at the same time so a lot of these paintings like these came from the same show the traveler um, they have a story that goes behind it so this is this is basically uh, two people falling in love <laughs> and then there's this little guy running with flowers trying to break the relationship up like choose me and not you know so it's kind of a flowing it's kind of a sad thing it's like so these two people are finding love and then but this person gets shut out and then, of course, there's the little guy. He's like the little guardian angel balancing it. And then I've got this kind of melting, bleeding heart that uh, represents, like, heartbreak. So on this one, Soulmates, it's, it's all about love and relationships and the different dynamics of the pain and the good and the happy and the sad. This one, uh, it, uh, the swirls remind me of uh, Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night, but they're, they're different kind of swirls. But that's kind of where my brain goes uh, when I first see those is the Starry Night with all the swirly stars and moon. Uh, but then, of course, the abstract people in the middle, the two blue uh, people, are some version of an embrace, but it's very abstractly drawn. Uh, really kind of a neat neat piece. It does uh, grab your eye. Definitely does. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Soulmates. You'll find that on the website as well. Um, ponderings. Let's see. This one, here's my little, okay, so here's this little guy. So it's the little cat. Is it the, <laughs> this is the actual, I think the only one where the cat actually is somewhat of a primary character in the painting. <laughs> there, there's kind of a big dream bubble or several dream bubbles up above the cat, and uh, it, it is called Ponderings. Go ahead and talk about Ponderings. Um, well, this one right here, I was in uh, a relationship, and I, there was kind of a segue in the, in the relationship where I was trying to decide if it was worth it to stay in or not. Um, and I was listening to probably all kinds of weird music when I did this. It was probably Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians and probably some Clash and uh, maybe some Nina Hagen in there. I don't know. <laughs> so You've got a lot of, inside one of the, the, the primary dream bubble here is a very weirdly shaped dream bubble, but inside there are the, uh, 
from biology class, they look like amoebas, just yeah. strangely shaped uh, things. Talk about what are those shapes trying to represent or what is, what's going on in your brain when you're painting those weird amoeba-like shapes? Um, well, they're just ways of me to get t color in, basically. Okay. Um, and just, uh, and then I've got little, I've got a little guy hanging for his That's life. That's the, the herring inspiration there, right? With the yeah. guy? Yeah. And then I've got like a martini glass and a person that's either holding up his arm or he's got a knife in his back. I just leave it to interpretation. And You've you got know, a skull and crossbones in there as well, right? Yes. Well, that's, well, I have a little guy, Mr. Bones right there, who's okay. one of my little, he's my muse. But, um, so anyway, I just put like all these random things in there, you know, night and day, night and day. So it was ah, yes and no, should I, should I not? Got is it. this worth it? You know, and so I made that one more structured um, because I was putting all my uh, options on the table, so to say, so to speak. So I, I noticed the sun, um, and it's kind of an abstractly drawn sun with uh, looks more like a saw blade spinning through the sky, <laughs> but it, but it is definitely a sun. You can make it out. The on the lower left is the moon that I didn't make out because it's kind of got a double crescent shape to it. Mm -hmm. But now that you say that that's a moon, that does make sense. That's his nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Very cool. And uh, then there's the brown clouds, I guess, dark clouds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very cool. And that is ponderings. And that, that painting, I guess the original is right there behind you, right? That's about a yep. two foot, maybe 18 inch tall by three or four foot wide painting. Yep. White background, a bunch of colorful, cool things in the middle of it. Okay. That's ponderings. That's also on the website. For those of you listening at home, you can check it out. Yeah. Um, and so this adagio in G minor. This is this, the, the, that song, a song by that name has been in many different movies. Uh, most recently was Manchester by the Sea, but it's been in tons of different movies. Were you, I'm assuming you're inspired by the song? Yeah, um, Dominic Miller actually was inspired by him. He's a, he's actually the guitarist for Sting. Okay. And I really like uh, a Spanish guitar style. And he actually is a great guitar, acoustic guitar player. And so I stumbled on his music. And so here's another segue of um, that one. Let's see, I don't have a picture of it. But I discovered classical music, you know, and I never, ever, ever, ever listened to classical music while I painted. But when I was in my studio at Aurora, um, I stumbled on Beethoven. Not that I haven't heard of Beethoven, but to actually use him. So I created this piece right here. We're describing one that's got a white background canvas, but it's very busy with lots of different colors and swirls and circles and a few man-like critters in there. Uh, go ahead now. So basically, I guess I should talk about this one since I segue. These kind of go together. But um, so this was the only one that I didn't put black in the painting. I always use black to kind of seal off the bright colors and give it an edge. But I, you know, like I said, back back in this time when I was going through my depression, this was one of the first. Uh, really vibrant um, paintings that I did. This painting has a whole history because I was we were getting ready to do open studio, which I think they're doing right now in my studios, which I forgot. <laughs> We've been walking yeah. around. But um, I was in, oh gosh, I didn't even want to say, but I was in my studio literally crying and listening to Beethoven. I was a mess. And, you know, people were, were getting their studios set up. It's very small, uh, close-knit community there. And um, I had to get myself together, right? And um, Cindy Rose <laughs> was doing her uh, silhouette show there. I mean, it was, just, it was just a lot of people were coming to this thing, and I just I, I, I had to stop, drop, and paint, right? 
and because um, I had to get just get this out. And so I created this painting, and I said, you know, I'm not going to put any black in it, even though I want to. I'm going to just go outside my box and do something different. So I named it for Philomena. Philomena is a female name. It's some kids, females are named that. It's it called. It means light. Uh, so Philomena is what it would be called on the website if someone's digging around and to try to find that? Yeah, for okay. Philomena. And it Philomena. translates into, I believe, uh, the one with light or something like that. So a friend of mine who uh, had depression, you know, contacted me. Um, and he uh, was out in spring and his restaurant had caught on fire and he had gone through all this. And he was just, uh, I'd known him a long time and he always encouraged me. Anyway, he wanted this piece because he wanted, he was so depressed that he needed something to brighten up his life. And so um, that was really weird because I was in the same spot. So like ye a year later, you know, he saw it and he just had to have it. And he didn't even want me to come deliver it to him. He wanted me to ship it to him. That's how depressed he was. He didn't want me to see him in that state. Well, he ended up passing away like three months ago. So his girlfriend, his living girlfriend, called me and told me, you know, he wants you to have the painting back. So wow. the Philomena's back. That's kind of unusual, I would think, yeah. to have an artist find it, or a piece of art find its way back home to the artist. Yeah, and that was pretty crazy because um, I felt like, you know, I was going through a really big depression, and I painted it to make myself feel better. And I didn't explain that to him or anybody. He just saw that painting, and he said, you know, he's a musician also. He said, I'm really depressed, and when I see this painting, it just lifts me up. I need to look at something to forcibly get me out of my depression. That's ex that was like the only person that got that. Not that and I'm that's, trying that's a, to say it's like some... Wow, well, that's interesting. That's exactly what you intended and someone yeah. else totally. So, so you said that ties back into Adagio and G minor, which that song, anytime they're, they're like Manchester by the Sea was a great movie, but it was kind of sad in a way. But most movies, whenever they have a, a sad moment where they kind of want to bring the audience emotions down, this song, Adagio and G minor, oh, is sneaking into the movie. It's in a lot of movies. And I don't. Wa I don't even have a TV. My boyfriend's like, uh, "You never go to movies with me." I don't watch TV, even though as an actress, I yeah, I rarely. Yeah, it's commonly used as it's kind of just a slow, mellow, kind of mopey song, right? So, uh, it's an old classical style. But this painting uh, is white background. Background again. It's got uh, musical notes that are kind of, sort of, uh, abstractly drawn to be a guitar fretboard, and you got guitar strings going on. Mm -hmm. uh, Talk more about some of the elements in there. You've got a candle and a moon or an egg-looking thing in the top left. Um, so this is, okay, so Dominic Miller was the, the, the composer, basically. So um, this was on my Beethoven channel. Who knew he was the guitarist for Sting? But anyway, so this is him playing, and he's got a blue heart. And this is um, a small guitar, and this is actually, if you remember... Um, Way back in the day, there's like a. My father was an antique collector. They're old keys. Yes, skeleton keys. Yeah, so that's basically the guitar. I don't know if these are frets. It's just, so these are the strings. So it's basically a, a key <laughs> that's morphing into strings in a guitar. Okay. So it's like the key to my emotions is music and all that. And so here's like a little snake and just, you know, just random things that were going on in my head at the time. And yeah, it's just supposed to represent a representational version of the earth. The down at the very bottom left, almost hidden in the uh, border of the thing, is what appears to be either a sunset or perhaps a red beach. Uh, what is going on down here at the very bottom, the very glimmer of red and yellow at the bottom? That's just a continuation of, the candle's yellow with red wax 
going down and it's just a continuation of the red wax and the yellow just so that it's just not this kind of okay thing sticking up it kind of makes the painting flow again it's one of those technical things that <laughs> gives the painting cool. more flow so adagio and g minor also on the website you'll uh, find that there it's kind of a neat piece to see and you'll definitely notice the musical inspiration on that one yep and then I guess you wanted to talk about this guy. Yeah, Fuhrer Bunker. Uh, that's called, literally translated to the secret bunker, but Fuhrer, of course, meant something different 70 years ago in Germany. Go ahead and talk about the that Fuhrer, one. Fuhrer, yeah. So this one, so I just randomly they, on Amazon, or not Amazon, on um, Google notifications, it's just some news thing that um, Adolf Hitler's uh, items from his bunker were being auctioned off. And... Uh, there was this whole ethical thing: should they be making money? And should they should people be buying these pieces? Shouldn't they be destroyed? And you know this whole controversy. Well, that got my little brain thinking about: wow, I wonder what that was like. You know, I wonder what kind of a bunker must have been creepy and scary. And um, I imagine this mad, crazy man, you know, in the dark, as his maniacal brain, thinking of all the crazy stuff he was doing. So, you know, it's very dark. Um, what I did was I. I got a canvas, <laughs> okay, I got a framed piece at a garage sale, honest, to be honest, it was a um, very nice painting, and I looked it up, the artist, to make sure he wasn't famous, <laughs> I was painting, I painted over this, <laughs> this uh, still life, basically, and kept the frame, and I painted it black, and so it has a clock, and the clock on the wall says 12.15, which I was thinking is around midnight. I was wondering if that was 12.15 or 3. I couldn't tell which arm was long yeah. or, or short. But yeah, it was either 12.15 or 3, 3 o'clock. But yeah. 12.15, why 12.15? Well, I didn't want to do 12 o'clock because then it would look like it was missing. Okay. <laughs> so, but there's <laughs> no real significance to 12.15. It's just somewhat of an arbitrary just time. Just middle of the night, you know. Okay. And, um, and then, of course, there's coffee. Because he's up there, he's up 24 hours a day, so he's got the coffee, and then there's a martini glass. So he's got martini, so he's drinking, and he's caffeine and alcohol, and, and then I've got these little cherries in the corner, which rec uh, represents innocence, all the innocent people that he just slaughtered. And of course, there's like a, there's a, a plant that's kind of brown and spirally and creepy. It's like its arms are reaching out. It's kind of wilted because, of course, he doesn't care enough to take care of his plants. So it's a plant is like dying and there's no sunlight in there. It's just a very, you know, dark kind of depressing. I just yeah, it, it decided is I would convey that whole macabre uh, thing. This painting, uh, so I'm, I'm looking at the printout, but right behind me is the real painting. And it's probably, I don't know, 36 inches wide by 24, 28 inches tall and framed. Um, mostly dark in the background. It's got the clock on a kind of a squiggly pedestal. Uh, you mentioned earlier you don't have any clocks in the studio, and I was going to call your bluff that that's, that is one clock <laughs> in the studio <laughs> you have it painted. Uh, Where time stands still. Yeah. I'm when wearing a watch. <laughs> when I first saw this, I started thinking of a bar scene in the middle of the night with the time and the martini glass and what appears to be maybe a beer stein or a beer mug on the oh left. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, very cool. That is called the Fuhrer Bunker, the secret bunker or the bunker from the Fuhrer from Hitler. Um, Cool. Maybe pick one more out, and then we'll move on to some other things. Let's see. We've got um, what's left here is the fairy tale, the traveler, and layers. Um, the fairy tale was just basically another take on this one for Philomena. Uh, just bright, bold colors. What uh, what song were you listening to when you made that one? This one, you know. Do you know of a band called Theocracy? Mm-mm. Okay. This is someone I need to check out. 
maybe. Um, most likely, I was just listening to light pop music, probably Adam Levine or whatever, because this one didn't really have like a deep, like I said, a deep meaning. So I can't remember with this one. So the w reason I mentioned a uh, not a terribly popular band, Theocracy, but I'm sure their fans would argue. Uh, but they have a song in one of their albums called Hide in the Fairy Tale. And the, the painting is called The Fairy Tale. Also, in that same album, they have a song called The World Bleeds. And look ah. in, the, in the left side, you've got a world bleeding. Oh, wow. And, and I thought maybe that's a theocracy reference, but oh, perhaps crazy. not. Uh, but talk about it. So this is a weird one then, um, that almost everything, every element in this painting is where the paint is running as though it's mm -hmm. bleeding. Uh, why? Um, I think what, you know, when I painted for Philomena, the one we were speaking of earlier, I didn't want to do one that was just so blatantly bright and bold. And I wanted to have a little contrast with the happy, bright colors. And, I, you know, I like the way the colors run. It reminds me, I don't know, I like... I guess I want to say, this sounds really macabre, but back when I was really little, we had this uh, candle. It was a skull for Halloween. My mother always, the artist, we went all out for Halloween decorating. And so he had this candle that was a white skull and it had red wax. And so when you lit the candle, the wax, the red wax would melt. And I just was fascinated by that. I don't know why. I just thought it looked really cool. Um, and I even remember how the candle smelled. It had like a, a perfumey smell. Um, and I always tried to find those, but, so I guess I just wanted to recreate that because it just, it's like looking at a lava lamp. I yeah, know, I, I can definitely see wax melting there, but for me, when I first saw that, it almost was though the painting was crying. Yeah. Everything is just kind of drooping down. It had uh, a little bit of that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a happy thing because it looks like blood and crying and all of that. Yeah. We're about out of time here, but, uh. Let's talk briefly on some of the other things you dabble in. You mentioned acting. You mm -hmm. did modeling. You're an author. You've, you've contributed to some books. Uh, photography, you've played a little bit in that. You've done writing and, of course, painting. Uh, how, how many, how, how do you kind of balance those? Do you, do you spend much time on those other things, or are those just kind of um, I don't do any more acting. I don't do any more modeling. Okay. Uh, I only did modeling because of my height. They, my agent kind of said, hey, until you get acting gigs, why don't you want to do some runway and some print? So that's kind of how that went down. Okay. Um, uh, acting is great, but you got to throw yourself into it. It's yeah. very, a lot of commitment. I didn't honestly love it enough to do that. Um, for me, writing is, uh, I've always written short stories and fiction since I was a little kid. Um, and so I do the same thing with my writing. I listen to music and I daydream and I write whatever comes in my brain. And very cool. That's neat that you've got different outlets for that. Yeah, and um, photography, my father was a photographer, but I don't really consider myself a professional photographer, but I love taking pictures, and you know, maybe I will do a show eventually um, with my photographs. But it's the technical aspect of, I'm using my iPhone, I can get really great photos, yeah. but I gotta put them on special uh, archival quality paper. I mean, that's a whole world that so I, I know I nothing about. I noticed on your website, you, uh, with the, your love of music, that you took some pictures at a Tesla concert. Yeah. But you know what's weird? Nikola Tesla, the scientist, the one of the fathers of electrical engineering, also has synesthesia. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how that correlates. What a weird connection. Yeah, because that cool. was one of the things I was doing. I just was discovering my iPhone and, you know, and the the photo editing part of it. And I was going, I had a lot of friends. I hang out with a lot of musicians at the time. 
and I loved photographing the musicians, you know, um, yeah. so, because they're just crazy, their hair is all over. Some of the musicians, like the smaller bands around the city, they do these these local gigs, and they're metalheads, and their hair is flying, and I've just got some really great photos. Very cool. Let's wrap up here. Let's give a shout out to how do people get in touch with you, your website, your social medias, your phone number, whatever it is you want to get so people can get a hold of you and buy your art. Oh, okay. Well, you can go to my website, www.annemarievancas.com. So A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-V-A-N-C-A-S.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have a, an artist page, uh, same name, Anne Marie Vancas Art. Uh, you can message me, send me an email. Uh, I'm not connected with a gallery right now, so I just primarily do things, you know, primarily through me, through Messenger. Very cool. Well, thank you for being on the show, and it's been a pleasure. This is neat. I've learned a lot. Thanks cool. for having me. Thanks for listening to the Loom Innovation Podcast. We'll see you next time. Take care. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live.